you don't need to wait for companies to Google your company. You can proactively engage them. What story does the attribution tell me about how that account learned about us and how that account engaged with us? And you can take that account-specific attribution and use that in the selling process. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. My next guest has really differentiated himself as a marketer, enabling the sales of high ticket items. To give you an idea of his range, he's marketed a new way to cool refrigerators, medical devices, and precision measurement tools. Needless to say, this guy knows a thing or two about B2B marketing. He's the founder of Kronos, an account-based marketing agency, the director of growth and marketing and demand generation at Phenonic, and the marketer who's bringing sales and marketing teams together. Joining me live today is Daniel Engelbritson. Thanks a lot for joining me today, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. As a person who's in a B2B uh, business as well, I relate heavily to that idea that it's not as cut and dry as B2C marketing, which is which gets a lot of kind of glorified attention saying like, oh, you just produce really great content and then you can target people really easily and you can put together all these really cool campaigns. B2B gets a lot messier. And one of the primary reasons I think for that is there's tons of people involved in the buying process. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Well, I've never, I've never explicitly been in a B2C role, so it's hard for me to comment on B2C, but I can say that in B2B, the buying process, buying decision-making definitely seems to have gotten more complicated, or at least it feels more complicated in the last several years. So I've run into that many times when you're trying to engage lots of different roles across lots of different departments, so I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, and especially with those higher ticket items that in most B2B uh, websites, you won't even see a price on the website. You have to engage for a quote or something. And so just the, the amount of human capital that's required to produce a quote and, and kind of create a solution that's custom to that customer's request rather than a B2C where you can just sell them the widget because everyone needs the same widget. Yeah, and you know, especially when you get into these top of these big ticket items where somebody's job is on the line if they're buying a million dollars worth of stuff and and they're they're thinking about it pretty hard and if you're selling an innovative new product then it's going to make that decision even more complicated versus whatever the incumbent solution is so definitely can relate back to to that challenge as well i've never even really thought of that as it's you're you're spending someone else's money and so you're putting yourself on the line by committing to that sale yeah, absolutely if you would help me kind of define what uh, account-based marketing or ABM is for those who maybe have never uh, been part of it or don't aren't quite sure how where, where the lines are. And that's a that's a loaded topic. I think you can ask five people to define ABM and and possibly get five different answers. And I think it's kind of uh, reflects where you are in your own journey with with adopting ABM practices and a lot of. A lot of people will tell you that they've always been doing ABM and that ABM is just marketing. And 
in a lot of ways, I agree. I mean, marketers, B2B marketers have been trying to figure out who to target and why to target them and the most efficient ways to target them for a long time. I think the biggest thing that's happened in the last several years is that the technology has gotten to a place where now the marketer can do some extremely targeted, extremely data-driven, very narrow tactical execution where you can target very specific roles at very specific accounts. And so some of the theory of let me narrow down my audience is much more actionable and with the technology today. So I think a lot of what ABM, the conversation around ABM account-based marketing, at least recently, has been around the technology that enables it. And I think also you often hear marketers talking a lot about the sales side of the fence and how account-based selling has basically been sales all along. And to a lot of a lot of that, that that's also true that sales has been engaging accounts on an account by account basis for a long time. But again, the difference is now partnering with marketing to put out the programs and the materials that used to be done in mass or at least for the whole segment and now can be done in a very specific and very targeted way. So marketers are now working cross-functionally or more effectively working cross-functionally to put out one-to-one campaigns or one-to-few campaigns and get much more efficient and much more targeted in how they're executing their tactics. And by the technology that you're referring to that's enabled ABM to become much more prevalent, are you talking about the ability to put digital ads, assets, lead magnets, white papers, whatever it is in front of people in a targeted way? Or are you you talking about more like social and engaged content on like social media? I think it's a mix. The main thing that you're doing is taking advantage of data that's available, whether it's your data, first party data, or or someone else's data like a cookie, and using that data to hone your targeting and to hone your messaging. So a lot of people like to talk about good good ABM is not just trying to generate net new business, it's also engaging the customers you already have and getting after retention and loyalty and things like that, which is where your first party data can drive a lot of value as well. So I think if I had to sum up the technology side, I would say it's more in access to data and the ability to leverage that data at scale. And that can be advertising data through cookie-based display or IP-based targeting, but it can also be, you know, even in how you're finding net new accounts to target or how you're tailoring your messaging based on how accounts are progressing with your company or, or whatever it could be. I think the biggest, the biggest differentiator is the data, the data side of it. So the first party data, meaning people on your website and your followers, uh, it, are there any other ones that I should know about on that, on the first party side of data? Yeah, your, your CRM or your ERP as well, you know, places where you have data, you know, that I think that's also one of the evolutions that has happened along the way is previously a lot of these companies that are out there have data in lots of different systems. You've got a different ERP and a different CRM and a different uh, ESP and a bunch of different disparate systems where data lives and a big part of what technology, marketing technology has done for the marketer in the last five or six years is giving you uh, better avenues and less expensive avenues to consolidate all of that into one place and get a holistic view of what you have. 
So definitely, definitely can be web data, but it also can be, you know, just business data that you might have on accounts that you currently do business with, or, or even just access to the various different types of data that might be coming into your company from all types of different activities. A good example of this, I had a project uh, a couple of years back where we had 26 different data sources that we were trying to combine into one to get a better, more holistic view of, of what we knew. And, uh, you know, 26, try to do that five years ago or maybe a little bit further back than that. It could get very expensive to master all that data and hold it all in one place. And it's very prohibitive for a lot of companies. But, you know, with platforms like Salesforce and others today, it's much more simple to get that in one place. I mean, it's still challenging if you've got tons of old data, but it's it's certainly simpler than it used to be to do that. And so a lot of these account-based platforms are giving you better insight into that data and marrying it all up for you more seamlessly so that you can take action on it. Yeah, and that's what it's all about is, is it taking action. Like you can sit on data and spend all the money storing it, but unless you're doing stuff with it, you're really not benefiting from it. Yeah, that's for sure. Can you help me to, and this is the last kind of question I have on the the <laughs> the nitty gritty of the definition, and then we can get into some more tactical stuff, but what you see as the difference between inbound marketing and ABM? Oh yeah, that's another hot topic. Don't get me wrong, inbound is a very well-respected, very legit field or or element of demand generation. I don't want to imply that it's not. But let me let me put this to you. In traditional inbound, where you're trying to, among other things, generate organic traffic to your website or to your web assets, and a lot of times you're doing that through a robust SEO strategy, the effort that it takes to build a solid SEO strategy and t- stay on top of that search engine optimization strategy, and then the the effort that goes into all the content and the rankings and the competitive monitoring and all that kind of stuff is certainly a worthwhile effort, but it's, there's no, you can't shortcut it, and it's a long game, and it's ever-changing. And if you are in a market where you already know the accounts that you want to target, and you already know the roles that you want to target, and you're leveraging intent data or other data to understand where buyers are in their journey or who might be looking, you don't need to wait for companies to Google your company. You can proactively engage them with account-based display or other tactics if you want. And I think the, the significance that once, once was inbound was you didn't know who was looking or when they were looking, and you didn't necessarily know who was the right account to be targeting because that data wasn't as accessible, but today you can know that. And if you do know that, then where are you better served putting your time and energy and money? A long game on SEO and inbound or a game that pivots more quickly on the account-based targeting and account-based tacticing, I guess you would say, of of what you know. And I'm not saying you can't, you shouldn't do inbound. I'm just saying it presents a different view into, you know, what's the most important thing for you to be working on. And that was particularly important to me at Phenonic because in, at Phenonic, we make products that don't exist in the world. So we have totally new disruptive solutions that people aren't searching for today. Mm-hmm. And if they're not searching for them, then what's the inbound strategy going to do for you? So 
again, I'm not trying to imply it's not worth doing. I'm just saying the landscape has changed and the tactical mix has changed such that there are other ways to take to to get after the people who might be looking that aren't just uh, you know organic search rankings and things like that. But I think, honestly, I think a lot of marketers will tell you that you should really be doing both. I think the question is how much of both and why. And you really, you, that really just depends from business to business on what you're doing. Yeah. And I really liked what you said too about if your company is creating solutions that don't exist yet, or even worse, like you don't know what language people are using to, to find your product. Like if you're creating a new category, you need to invent your word and get it out there. It's going to have such a low search volume because no, it's not a real word yet. And so that's uh, a really smart way to kickstart any type of actual marketing efforts before you have kind of market, the language is out there and people know. So examples like if you're buying a toothbrush, like you need to know that, Toothbrush has a definition, but when you're talking about a problem in a in a business setting, it can have a different definition or word that people use to describe it based on just what region of the country you're in. Yeah, there's plenty of there's plenty of critical thinking out there on how to figure out what words people use and things like that. So I, I definitely think you know there's methods you can do go about doing to figure out what how people search or what they might be searching for product that we quote unquote invented was non-hermetic laser packaging. You know, people don't search for that. I mean, nobody, nobody knows what that is. And so you can't, even, even the terminology around it and the brand naming we use for it totally new in the market. So, you know, you can't rely on inbound to do that. So again, I think there's exceptions everywhere and it totally depends on the business, but the biggest thing that has changed is that account-based targeting and account-based tacticking has given marketers new tools in the toolbox that, you know, have have marketers pausing for a minute and saying, hey, how much time should I really spend on my inbound versus these other tactics and why? And so I just think it's worth uh, pausing and, and considering that for yourself. Yeah, that's great. One of the ABM strategies that I've uh, come across and I've found some resources where you mentioned it as well is, is team. Is that a... A strategy that you invented or where did that come from and and then when we can then go through and kind of define what each of those those letters stand for yeah yeah target engage activate measure no i most definitely did not invent that i think if i had to give credit to somebody it'd probably be sangram over at terminus and the flip my funnel community pretty sure he came up with that and if you've not checked out sangram definitely do and his book abm is b2b it's an excellent resource but, you know, the team methodology, I definitely learned from the Terminus crew. And there's a few different methodologies out there. Uh, team team is an easy one to remember. And I also uh, find it very useful. So I absolutely use that today. And actually, a lot of times uh, my conversations around ABM start with team, to be totally honest. And, and you know, a lot of people will ask, well, you know, what is ABM or what ABM platform should I, should I get or should I buy the software or that software? And usually I start the conversation with, well, what problem are you trying to solve? And I usually bucket those problems into the team category categories, which are, you know, do you have a hard time targeting people? Do you know who you want to target? Is that a problem for you? And if knowing who to target or targeting people is not a problem for you, then 
well, do you have a hard time engaging people or do you know how to engage people or where to engage people? And if that's not a problem for you, then it's, well, do you have a hard time activating your sales team or aligning with the sales team to get the sales team to get after the marketing output? Is that a challenge for you? And if that's not a problem, then do you have a problem with your measurement and, and optimization and multi-touch and, and, and all that good stuff that comes along in the measurement? And usually people have one or more problems in one or more of those categories. And that's where I usually start the conversation of, you know, what, what might be a good fit for you. If we could go through each of those four, I've got, I've got a couple of questions specific to each one of them to maybe kind of offer some insight to those who've never heard of this, this system and, and maybe they could help understand what, which, where they're struggling to. So team, T-E-A-M. T stands for target. And one of the points that was brought up with that is to put together a huge list of accounts that you would like to target. Do you have any tips on how to generate that list? Yeah, that's, that's also a million dollar question. I think there's a variety of ways to go about it. And, and it, it, there's a lot of caveats here. So I'll just start talking. You know, the, the, I think the most, the most common uh, place to start is to have a conversation with your sales team and find out who the sales team is already targeting for whatever product uh, that you're trying to sell. And that's a great first place to start if you have a sales team that's currently selling your product. And, you know, sometimes it can be harder than others to get the sales team to give you the list. And if you have a CRM, maybe you can just pull the list for yourself. But the goal is to collaborate with the sales leader or salesperson who's responsible for whichever product that you're trying to push the campaign out for and understand from them, you know, who are you currently targeting, who are, or even sometimes who who should we definitely not target. And if you can't get an actual list, then perhaps you can get some firmographic characteristics or geographic characteristics that might help you uh, put together a list. Oftentimes, you can then use that list to find lookalike accounts that that maybe aren't the same account but have very similar characteristics to help you do that. So, you know, using data platforms and things like that. But but let's say you're in a scenario where your sales team, you don't have a sales team or you don't have a, anybody selling that product now, or there just is no list. And there's you know, the variety of ways that I've gone about doing that before. Is I mean, obviously you need to know at least what vertical or sub-vertical that you want to sell into and some idea of, you know, what makes an account a good account or not a good account. So could be revenue, could be employees, could be location, could be need, whatever the case. But sometimes I source a target account list from trade publications that are big in the, those industries or those niche industries. Uh, a great place to get them is if you know if you know a certain account attends a certain trade show and that or, or exhibits at a certain trade show, and you know that that account is a good fit for you. You can go to that trade show and get the list of exhibitors at that trade show and find from the list of exhibitors other companies that are like that company who are also exhibiting. So you can create lists from that. But I have to be honest, I pulled lists from Wikipedia, you know, top 100 convenience store chains. I pulled lists from from Google. I, I frequently offshore list building to vendors overseas so they can help put together a list. You know, I even had a project earlier, one that was working on today where we were looking at uh, Twitter and people who tweeted certain hashtags at certain handles, uh, we built lists from that, you know, basically inferring that these, these companies getting these kinds of tweets were of this type of segment. So there's a lot of different ways you can source that. 
But I think one of the tips that I would pass along is if you're going to source data from a data vendor, my experience has been to try to find one vendor that can, that can check all the boxes versus four or five or six different vendors that can't. And the reason for that is because once you get to scale uh, as you're ingesting all this data for your targeting, if you don't have a good uh, master data management plan, like unique identifiers for these accounts, it can get very overwhelming merging all that data together and sourcing from one source can greatly simplify that for you. I mean, sometimes you just can't do that, but, but if possible, it can, it can make your life a lot easier. And there's a few different big platforms out there where you can source that data and that data is going to cost you, you know, somewhere between 20 cents and maybe 70 cents a record when you start getting into it. Some of those Upwork or uh, Fiverr websites can do stuff like that. I don't necessarily warrant how good the work is, but there, there's t- so many creative ways you can get those lists. But then once you have a, a, a large list, what's the next step there? Well, there's a few ways I've approached that. You know, it, with, with your account-based targeting, if you're just like, if you want to start launching some advertising, which I've done in some cases, you can start with just the name of the company and a domain for the company. And you can start your targeting. And uh, sometimes that's enough because when you start running that list and you start watching, well, who's engaging with the content, who's coming back to the site and what are they looking at? You can then start using that engagement data to understand whether that account is an interested account or an interesting account. So that's, you know, you can get started with very a very small set of data if you want. But you can also get much more elaborate on that. And I recommend that you at least sit down with your sales partner and basically go down the list and say, what do you think? Are these good accounts or not good accounts? And I tend to focus just as much on what makes them bad accounts as what makes them good accounts because there's there's a lot of interesting insight you can get from the sales person or team you know, when they say that that account's not a good fit. So so usually you're then uh, crunching the list with your partners internally to see if, you know, what, what the good accounts have in common, what the bad accounts don't have in common, and trying to narrow down the list. And I think you know, one of the mistakes I run into a lot, well, mistakes is kind of a big word. One of the things, one of the hurdles I see marketers run into a lot that, that can have very, very quickly have diminishing returns is trying to get the perfect list. I think it's very easy, particularly if you're doing account-based display, advertising as a tactic, it's very easy to just start and let the data guide you. And if you spend three months trying to figure out the right first list, you're, you're wasting a lot of time trying to get that perfect where you could be letting the data point you in the right direction of should I be targeting these folks or not. So I think, you know, and then of course you can get very elaborate and buy your, get very specific with lots of different characteristics, you know, which lots of times people refer to that as an ideal customer profile or an ICP. And an IC, you can get ICP templates from all over the place and you can get very elaborate ones and you can get very basic ones where you're trying to extremely narrow down uh, the criteria that makes them a good fit. And, and sometimes that's totally warranted. And sometimes it's not. So I think my advice would be really grow yourself on how how narrow you really need to be to get started, because uh, a lot of times just getting started 
will give you so much more insight than what you can possibly have before you start. And after you start, things just start making a lot more sense. So starting is, is your friend in that scenario. So that's, I guess that's my thought on, on the list sourcing. Yeah. And, and I really liked what you said too, is about just, just starting and getting something out there and in front of them. Would you recommend a paid ad through like Google to get it out there and kind of tailor your audience to the, the, the accounts that you've selected and see which ones are engaging with it and then kind of capture that all in Google and then get more focused as you go, as you move from the target to the engaged uh, step in this, in this framework? Well, I'm sure you know this. You can't you can't target specific companies via Google, at least not through like the display network or anything like that. The closest I've gotten to that is like in the healthcare life science vertical targeting hospitals. You can you can target down to like a nine digit zip code in Google. So if you know that a hospital or something you're targeting is in a specific nine digit zip code, you can narrow your advertising down to those zip codes and try to weed them out. But, you know, from an account-based display perspective, you're probably going to be looking at a platform like Terminus ABM or others where you would be serving up ads at specific accounts through an account-based platform. But you can also um, build audiences on LinkedIn and target through LinkedIn. You can't get one-to-one, but you can, well, typically you can't get one-to-one, but you can get one-to-many and narrow your focus on LinkedIn and, and then there are other tactics besides advertising that you could be doing, like calling or emailing, you know, where you're tailoring the message and tailoring the targeting. Yeah, so I'd assume that that moves us into the, the engaged part where you're actually presenting them marketing material. Uh, does that also kind of, the calling, would that fall under the, the engage or is that more of an activate kind of activity. that's a great question and i think you know i would initially answer that with it's an activate but i think let's talk about that so you know there's two things that you're trying to do and engage you're you are proactively engaging your targets and then you are watching for those those targets to engage back with you and as you're engaging those targets you're also trying to improve your understanding of those targets and improve your visibility into those targets. So you might be rounding out your contact visibility at the account, you know, by finding more contacts. You might find that you're you're having a hard time targeting them in one channel like cookie-based display. So you need to target them with IP address or or LinkedIn or something. So you're kind of refining your your targeting and your channels to actually be able to engage the target account. And then as you're improving your engagement of those accounts, then you're measuring how much those accounts are engaging with you. And it could, it depends a bit on the channels and the tactics. And one of the methodologies that I particularly like is thinking about it in terms of minutes of engagement, which if I remember correctly, I think the guys at Engageo came up with that. But, but you know, where traditional demand gen uses lead scoring and you might have a lead score of 10 points or 50 points, and that's somewhat arbitrary. If you translate that into minutes and you think, oh, well, they read this email, that's worth a minute, or they spent five minutes on my website, that's worth five minutes or whatever you're doing, as you are monitoring the accounts that are engaging with you, you can start to basically add up the minutes of engagement. And what you're trying to do is achieve a threshold, a meaningful threshold of engagement. 
So as you're firing off these various tactics like advertising or email or if you're doing events and webinars or direct mail or calling or whatever you're doing, depending on the type of calling, you're you're trying to lift that level of engagement, not only in the aggregate for the account, but also for the individual roles or buying like buying member groups that you're trying to get after. So you might have a rule that says, well, I need 10 minutes of engagement in purchasing and 30 minutes of engagement in engineering before they hit that threshold or, or whatever it is. And so as you are, as the marketer is executing the campaign, over the life of that campaign, you're trying to maximize your ability to engage with the target account, but also you're trying to maximize how much that our target account and the roles of those accounts are engaging back with you. And you're measuring that through, you know, whatever platforms you've got available. If you have a, a platform like Terminus, like we talked about earlier, a lot of that engagement can get measured for you, but it's not impossible to measure it in disparate locations. It's just more complicated. But that's essentially what you're trying to do. And if you have a lead scoring model today, that's the easiest place to start, in my opinion, because you can then just aggregate the lead score across the whole account and at least get a aggregate view at the account as well as for the individual to start watching for those engagement thresholds. And then the engagement threshold really just depends on you and your business and your and their people you're targeting. But every time I have crunched that, which I usually do it quarterly, the engagement threshold is very clear in the number. You achieve this threshold and you see these changes in the way the account's engaging with you. And that's what you're looking for. And those changes could be unique people at the account they're engaging or how long they're engaging or how much they're engaging with, but you're watching for that. And then you're then once they achieve that threshold of engagement, that's when you're moving into activate where you are trying to activate the sales team and, and activate the account in terms of converting them into your sales funnel. Yeah. I really like that point you had about the engagement threshold. I've never, I've never heard that before, but it makes total sense. Like it takes a certain amount of time of FaceTime to be speaking with someone before you earn their trust in a romantic way or in a friendship way and definitely in a business way. And so if you can start keeping track of each channel and keeping score of like how long they've been in your in your universe, then you can really quickly understand how much they know about you. Because if you've only spoken to them for five minutes, you probably don't want to use difficult language. You probably want to be talking very uh, pain-based messaging. But if you've spoken to them for over 45 minutes, then at that point, you're, you're only talking about their pain points. You're hyper-precise on what they need to hear from you because you're kind of closing the deal at that point. Yeah, and let me be clear, it's not an arbitrary thing. I mean, it's definitely data-driven. Uh, you know, uh, I have seen this play out many times where you can see in the data what that engagement threshold is. And when, when an account meets that threshold, you can very clearly see in the data, these accounts are this much more engaged, which is having this kind of impact on email open rates and click rates, which is having this kind of impact on appointment set rates and things like that. And we do that by sub-vertical. And so, you know, in the convenience store space or the healthcare space or in the popular electronics space or whatever, the vertical, we, that's how we crunch that. And so it may sound very subjective when you talk about it, but it is very objective in the data when you're watching for it. And I don't think there's a magic bullet. I think it really depends on the product and the vertical and the messaging and all that. But absolutely, the analogy of, you know, you have to earn that trust 
I think it's a good analogy, but but really, I think you can you can as I'm saying, you can see it in the data and know when to start firing off the other tactics to get to get the right kind of response. Absolutely, and so that brings us to the last uh, point, which is measure, which is pretty much all the data we've been talking about all the way through from the data you collected to find your accounts, and now you're comparing your engagement and your lead-based metrics or whatever you've collected over the time to measure and make sure that you've, you've hit your targets. Is that the point? Measure is, is, is probably one of the most contested topics in the world of marketing. And there's so many different angles on it. You know, one that's really hot is your attribution and your multi-touch attribution. And a lot of people struggle to understand you know, how much credit should I give for this touch or that touch? And, you know, should it be first touch or last touch or multi-touch or, or whatever the case? And I think from an account-based perspective, when I'm doing that type of measurement, whether this is right or wrong, I tend to, to look at it and say, okay, what was the journey this account took and over what period of time? And, oh, they went to this trade show and they went to that trade show and they went to this webinar and they went to this thing. And it's, I look at it more as what what story does the attribution tell me about how that account learned about us and how that account engaged with us. And you can take that account-specific attribution and use that in the selling process. But then in the aggregate, you can look by vertical or sub-vertical and see in the aggregate, well, so many of these accounts that we won, they, they came to these three trade shows or they came to these two webinars. And you can start to get a feel for you know, how does this vertical or sub-vertical engage with what types of content and and which types of activities and tactics are most consistently part of that account's or that segment's account's journeys. And so I think a lot of people get hung up trying to apply a specific revenue number to a specific tactic from a specific campaign. And I think that's really complicated to do in a meaningful way without looking at several years, well, depending on your sales cycles, I'm, I'm thinking about long sales cycles, looking at several years of data of engagement from those accounts and thinking about it more in terms of, do I have the right mix or not? And how is the mix changing? And and how should I be thinking about my tactical mix? And, and so a lot of the measurement is around tactical mix, but also as we've already talked about, there's measure, measurement around you know, from a campaign perspective, when when to launch your tactics and in what order to launch those tactics. And even like when you're getting into the SDR side of the business, you know, what's the SDR play? You know, how many days should you be engaging with account across how many attempts and how many channels and things like that? So there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, measurement topic alone, obviously, is a, is a massive topic. But I think ultimately people want to know is, is my marketing paying off for me or not? And in what kinds of ways? And I, and I think while this is a very idealist statement and not, not necessarily possible for everyone, I think taking the focus off of, did I earn revenue from this tactic and put, putting the focus on what, what story can I learn from the mix and, you know, what, what should I change uh, the next time around based on that story and thinking about it more in terms of, you know, was the right mix and the, and the right way to go about executing campaigns, regardless of whether you tracked a dollar to that tactic or not. Did you get the business overall? And what can you see across the, the deal that you're winning that's in common or not in common? And then trying to infer from that. 
So it's it's a very tricky and uh, contested topic. And I think I just ha I have a distinct point of view on it that not everybody shares. But I think a lot of what the software is doing for you these days, uh, particularly like on the Salesforce side or the Terminus side or whichever software you might be using, is helping you to pipe all that data on one spot and, and understand but then beyond understanding, also optimize. And, and I think in the world of account-based, there's just so much opportunity for optimization. It's, you know, that's, that's a big part of what marketing should be doing while they're running these campaigns is looking for opportunities to optimize. If you've been lucky enough to have uh, campaigns that have led to very good storytelling uh, at the end of it where you're able to look back and and understand the 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 experience that your account had throughout the whole interaction with your company and say it's a long sales cycle so you can really see how you were able to yeah move them through what have been some uh, unexpected findings that you've seen uh, on the maybe on the marketing mix side that tactically you were surprised that worked so well or things that didn't work so well that you would like to kind of figure out in the future? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. I think, you know, some of the things that we spotted when doing this were, was the understanding of what order to, to do what tactics in and over what period of time. And like the most obvious one or the one that comes to mind the fastest, I guess, is, you know, running your account-based uh, advertising via cookie-based display and then achieving a threshold and then firing off your email and achieving a threshold and then firing off your call or calling and and kind of optimizing that so that when you're doing the calling, your ability to set appointments, you know, is basically achieve maximum efficiency or whatever. And when we started doing that, over time, we were able to get, I think I want to say it was a 36% lift and a set rate on the phone when we're set it when we're calling uh, this was in hospitals we were calling doctors in hospitals trying to set appointments actually i think it was pharmacists in hospitals trying to set appointments as we kind of optimized that mix we were able to get significant lift in the success rate but then even looking like more at a macro level you know i was looking at some of the bigger deals that we won in a different vertical and we had a couple of different deals that were multi-million dollar deals and one of them comes to mind particularly, it was like a two and a half year, the first touch on that deal had happened two and a half years prior. And there had been something like 216 people and something like 750 touches at that account on that opportunity over a two and a half year period. And you could stretch it all the way back to some people who had come to our booth at a trade show, you know, two and a half or three years ago. And so it was interesting to see that these same people came to these same shows, these these particular shows and not those particular shows. It was also interesting to see how the engagement would spike at the account, like the number, the quantity of people at an account that would be on the radar before and after something like a webinar, you know, where we had run a couple of webinars in the space. And so before you had this number of people engaged in the account and after the webinar, you had that number of people engaged in the account. So it was interesting to be able to go back and and see in the context of a specific deal how the different tactics had come together and which tactics, like that webinar, for example, saw the biggest burst of engagement from the from the account. So I mean, those those are some of the ones that come to mind. But even even just getting into a specific tactic by itself 
the testing from the attribution and from the uh, analytics for just the advertising alone and understanding, we got to a point where we understood, well, the awareness messaging needs to be a cookie-based and the education messaging needs to be retargeting-based and the preference messaging needs to be LinkedIn-based and it needs to be over this period of time and these are the types of assets that fit. You know, that was some of the stuff that we started figuring out and over over how many weeks should you be running and, and how many impressions are you trying to get. So, I mean, as I said, the topic the topic's pretty dead, but oh, yeah. there's a lot to there's a lot to learn. Well, I think you've done a great job, Daniel, of giving us a, a really great oversight of what it looks what it could look like from start to finish and then how many layers there are at each of those those areas of maturity just to to continue to grow and scale your company depending on what industry you're in and whatever else what other other variables come into play when it comes to your business. And and there's tons of other resources that that you've you've put out there both on scaling ABM so once you've got something in place how to how to really grow it but then also on the earlier stage which is evolving demand generation into an ABM approach and a lot of those resources that you've written they're available on your website correct yeah they're definitely on my LinkedIn for sure you can uh, you can find them on my LinkedIn I've linked to a lot of them okay I'll ask people to find you on LinkedIn then and uh, let Daniel know if there's uh, if any of this rang true in your world do you think this is still uh, we're still in the early stages of this or do you think with the whole ABM tech world has kind of reached a, a maturity of some point? I think that marketers are quickly coming to understand that account-based marketing is not a technology play. It is a strategy or a way of doing, and it, it certainly is enabled by or made easier by technology, but it doesn't require technology. And I think a lot of the uh, conversation started with the tech vendors selling technology. And so a lot of the conversation has been around technology because it's the technology vendors selling technology. But I think what we're seeing in the space is there's been a lot of people are consolidating their technology stacks. Vendors, the technology vendors are starting to round out their capabilities and have more holistic uh, offerings in the market versus where they did a few years ago. And I think I think people are just getting a better understanding of of what account base is and why they should be doing it. So I don't think that the technology is done maturing. I think we're probably a couple of years out, maybe three years out from the technology really getting a clear cut, you know, market leader with clear cut capabilities. I mean, maybe two years out, you know, but I think the marketers, my experience recently has been that marketers are, are getting more familiar and, and kind of catching up to where the technology vendors have been. So I think, I think I, I would say that we're still in growth mode. We're not we're not in maturity mode, but but it's it's come a long way. Awesome, and I look forward to seeing it continue in the future. Thanks so much, Daniel. This has been really a masterclass in ABM for me, and I, I hope for many others too. Yeah, glad to do it. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're gonna absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available 
anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.